0: Welcome, welcome to another episode of the Bastards of Boston Baseball. We want to welcome in any of our new listeners who are joining us for the first time. We're happy to have you aboard. For those of you who have been here from the start, you all know the drill. We live and die by this team, just like all of you, and we make no apologies for that. So, welcome in to our Bastards Roundtable episode. We'll be covering a Red Sox topic and a few league wide topics as well tonight. Uh, Joining me on the show from the mile-high city of Denver, Colorado, by way of Quincy, Massachusetts, is Andrew Duan. Andrew, how are you?
1: Doing good, thanks. Enjoying uh, this last series. So flying high, we finally get to talk about some wins and ready to go at it some more. But uh, please like and subscribe uh, wherever you get your podcasts and hit the bell on those YouTube videos as well so you can get all the content.
0: Nice. And before I forget, because I continue to forget to do this, you can find us at bastards underscore boston on Twitter. And Andrew, where can they find you on Twitter?
1: It's gonna be at Andrew Dwan MLB.
0: Awesome. And also joining us in Myrtle Beach, South Carolina, by way of Windham, Maine, is Terry Cushman. Terry, how are you?
2: I am splendid. I am enjoying a Down East Hard Cider here, and um, I checked it is not owned by Anheuser Bush, so, you know, if that's, so, yeah. if that's important to you, uh, you know, then let it be known. But um, the yeah, the Twitter handle thing, I was always terrible at it. Some One person always got screwed. I always get it out with one person, but not the other, but I can be found at Cushman MLB. And uh, but the bastards account is the busiest uh of the two, so
0: yes, absolutely. So yeah, hit up all those accounts and you can find us there and yell at us for our takes if you want or whatever. Give us a like or a retweet, whatever you feel like doing. Um so, like I said, this is our bastards roundtable episode. We'll be covering some different topics, uh, some Red Sox related, some not. We're gonna start off with the Red Sox related one though, because There's a certain guy who's off to a pretty hot start for the Red Sox and uh, had a pretty good series against Minnesota, continues to just absolutely rake. That's Alex Verdugo. And we wanted to get into Verdugo, not just how he's playing right now, but his future, um, because he's got one more arbitration year after this. And as far as we can tell, there's been no real solid talks of an extension or anything like that so basically we're just here to ask what does the future hold for Alex Verdugo as it pertains to the Red Sox will he be here long term or is he one of these guys that we may see shipped out at some points um Terry what are your thoughts on Verdugo do you want him long term do you want them to give him a contract extension if so what do you think that looks like
2: it's getting more interesting by the year at this point but I've always been an Alex Verdugo guy, and uh, he kind of looks like he might be on the verge of uh, a, a breakout year. And I don't have his career numbers up in front of me, but he's never really had a bad year. And when you're looking at an organization that has lacked outfield depth for a long time, Why wouldn't you lock up a guy like Alex Verdugo while you have the leverage? Now, this isn't going to get like crazy out of control like it did with Bogarts. You know, a lot of people thought Bogarts would sign for around 170, 180, ended up being 100 million north of that. So I don't see a scenario in which that's going to play out with a guy like Verdugo, but you may as well lock him up now. I don't even... How old is he? He's 26, so a fairly young guy. I mean, I think you probably could have locked him up to a five- or six-year deal, maybe on an open market after a, a good year. I I don't know if he would get seven from another team. That, that sounds like a lot to me, But but I think the Red Sox should do it, and i was thinking about it the last couple of days. Like if I'm Alex Verdugo, why, why would I agree to it now? You know, I'm, I'm having this stellar start in the leadoff spot, which is a, a position that's desired. That's a role that's desired by every ball club. And he never hardly ever strikes out. He's among the lowest in the league in terms of strikeouts. You know, we we talk about that quite a bit. So, I mean, if I'm the Red Sox, I I try to get it done. I get it done because who do you have? I mean, maybe you can convert Nick York to an outfielder. We talked a lot about Jaron Duran on the last show. Maybe he could be long term, but you know, I. I'm not comfortable with that at the moment. So I I just, I I can't find a a reason not to do it.
0: Yeah. And like you said, if the team hasn't approached him, then I mean, he could be inclined to just wait and, you know, try and maximize whatever contract he could get maybe from someone else. Um, Andrew, what are your thoughts?
1: Yeah. I've been a proponent of, um, Getting Verdugo a longer term deal. I thought five for 75. Pretty much the Andrew Benintendi deal was a good comp for him. I thought it was be fair for both sides. Um, going back, I was I knew I had tweeted about this a while ago. This was back in October of last year. I was looking. Fenway's actually the worst ballpark for him. Honestly, the worst ballpark in the league. His power gets absolutely sapped right there. His home number, his home run numbers have taken an absolute dive his 13 in 2021 would have been 20 plus in Chicago. There would have been 20 in Milwaukee, 22 in Cincinnati. He gets destroyed by that ball, by Fenway and it sucks. And I think a long-term extension would unleash some different, you know, talents with him. Uh, Now, Cora very, very noticeably went on a, Went on the record and challenged him through the media to a man and said, Hey, I want you to be better. And Verdugo's done that. and uh, he's delivered. He's been that leadoff guy that this team needs. He's absolutely s- stepped up. He's setting the table for the squad. In that walk-off, you can see his personality. He's met, he's built for this city. He doesn't let it phase him. Now, you brought up why would he sign in at this point? I think one big thing for him. Is injury, you know, he might not miss games, but he goes all out and he gets hurt. He had that toe injury that pretty much screwed him the uh, for a majority of the season last year, he had that broken foot and that sapped his power. Uh, we saw it, you know, he really wasn't driving the ball too much. This year, he's healthy. I got a little nervous when he tried to rob that home run in right field. I don't know if anyone saw that. We went over the bullpen. And he came up, just kind of grabbing at his side there. And I was like, oh, God, I really hope that didn't aggravate something. But definitely didn't. He had a monster shot today. So I think that is where you could get him to kind of convince you know, him to take a long-term deal. It allows him some peace of mind where if I get hurt during my contract year next year, I'm okay. You know, I got that long-term financial stability and I'm still hitting free agency at 31 where I can sign maybe a two or three year deal if I, you know, keep my talents up.
0: Yeah, he, he does sort of remind me of like Dustin Pedroia, the right fielder who happens to hit lefty too. You know, he he does go all out has a little bit of that dirt dog in him, Um, you know, quintessential leadoff guy as well. Um, I don't consider him a team leader in the clubhouse, although maybe they consider him that, um, I think he's just a little too flashy and at times a little too hot headed to be that. But I think you're right about his personality in general. It fits Boston. Like he, he can play in this market and that's huge because we've seen a lot of guys come here. A lot of very talented players come to Boston and they just melt Boston. Just the, the pressure of it and, You know, the the way the city is just melts their brains, you know, from Carl Crawford to Adrian Gonzalez to Pablo Sandoval. I mean, you name it. We've had so many guys, really talented players come in here that can't hack it. Ferdugo can. He's proven that he can. He's been here in winning seasons. He's been here in losing seasons. And we've seen him still play his ass off, you know, still give everything, you know, 100%, you know, hustling down the line, hustling defensively. Uh, He hates the Yankees and their fans, so that's perfect, too. Has a nice little rivalry going with them. So I ultimately, I would love the Red Sox to approach him as soon as possible with the Andrew Benatendi deal. Like you said, 5 over 75. I would do that today. I don't think that it hurts you as a team all that much because I don't think Verdugo is a guy whose production is going to drop off. He's been such a consistent performer ever since he hit the big leagues. I don't really care about the power. Maybe he does, like you mentioned. Maybe he looks around the league and goes, well, I can stay in Boston, and yeah, I'll probably win there, and it's, it's a great place to play. But if I go to Wrigley, I could hit like 25 bombs a year and maybe get an even bigger deal in my age 31 season, make even more money. So hopefully he's not thinking that way, but it is possible. But I don't need him hitting power. I want him doing exactly what he does getting on base, having like 10 pitch at bats to start every game and frustrating pitchers, hitting doubles in the gap, all of that. His defense is solid enough. He's not going to win a gold glove anytime soon, but that's okay. He's also playing Fenway right field, which is a nightmare. So he's doing pretty good out there regardless. Um, I I hope they do it. I just worry that they're going to do what they do with all these guys. They're going to bring him to his, other, his next arbitration year. They're going to put him through arbitration. They're going to just absolutely try and screw him because that's what the Red Sox do. They love just trying to bend you over the table during arbitration hearings. It's one of the worst things the franchise does. And, you know, it's, I'm, I'm worried that they're going to get like a Corbin Burns situation where they try and push their luck and they piss him off in an arbitration hearing. And he goes, you know what? I'm hitting free agency and I'm out of here because, you know, they'll, they'll do something like that. So, I hope it's not the case. I want the extension. I want him here for the next couple of years. Cause I think he's a really good player. Um, unlike everyone else who still pines over Mookie Betts, I think you actually did get a pretty good return. Cause you got a pretty good, you know, everyday leadoff hitter outfielder out of it. So I hope they extend him, but I have no idea. Terry, what else you got?
2: So just looking at some numbers here, um, this is just amongst leadoff hitters. Um, Ronald Acuña his on-base, you know, 451. Alex Verdugo currently an even 400 for on-base. There's only two other people ahead of him besides Acuña. One of them's Jonathan India. I don't think that will will hold up. The other one's uh, Brandon Nimmo. I think that comes back down to earth as well. But Either way, I think Verdugo, amongst leadoff hitters, could be a top five guy with on base, you know, amongst all the leadoff hitters across the league. Um, he's leading the Red Sox in hits. He's leading the Red Sox in uh, runs scored. I'm looking at OPS. He looks like he's probably about sixth or seventh among other leadoff hitters with that. But l- let's just say he ends the year with a 310. Average, where's he at now? Three twenty-eight. So he comes down a little bit there, and then his his on base. Let's say that comes down to three seventy. You know, that's about what you know Andrew Benintendi was for the the few years he was up. What does that? What kind of a contract does that look like going into his final year of arbitration? Because uh, you might get a sixth year, you know, at this point, and, and I think it could exceed. A hundred million.
0: I mean, I would yeah, so five over seventy five, you know, I think is where they should start. But it, let's say he does want multiple years. So if he wants seven years, are you willing to go to like seven over one oh five? Like I would or, do like
1: five ninety. <laughs> I would even do five ninety, yeah. I mean, you're going to be looking at a CBA that, ri- or the CBT that rises $5 million a year. And theoretically, you're really going to get a swoon of prospects coming up where you are able to slash some payroll unintentionally by getting these guys um, integrated with the team where, you know, $18 million for a corner outfielder is not going to kill you. So,
2: I'm just wondering what the ceiling is, but... You know, is he going to have the incentive to to sign outside of possible injury concerns? Is is my only worry at this point. I, I hope I hope they don't blow it. And this isn't a Devers situation. It's not a Bogart situation. I mean, we can find a corner outfielder that can you know give I you.
1: Be surprised if they started holding some talks with him. You know, during this season, I think it would buy them some. Lee, you know time to figure out what they want to do long term like you know what do we think can we sign him do we want us for what he's looking at would he you know anyone touch the qo if we place it on him or do we have to look at potentially moving him if we think yeah he might he might bounce so yeah i think the, i think they'll ha- have plenty of conversations internally about getting a deal done sooner rather than later
2: since you mention it, if we're out of it, how valuable is he on July 28th?
1: If he's doing this, <laughs> I mean, there wouldn't be anyone bigger on the trade market. A year and a half of an outfielder, that's a leadoff guy. And if you look at his, his savant page, he's over 90th percentile of defense. He's absolutely killing it. He would fit. Any teams need that has you know a corner outfielder spot because if you can play right field at Fenway, I don't know where the hell you can't play right field because it's the as far as I'm concerned the hardest uh, outfield position in the league.
0: Yeah, yeah if he's if he's still doing this, the only outfielder that would be more valuable than him by the trade deadline, assuming they still can't figure out an extension, is Brian Reynolds out in Pittsburgh. Like that, that would be it. He 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 and Reynolds would be the two biggest prizes of the trade deadline.
2: And Verdugo would probably go first because, theoretically, he would be the lesser package. I mean, he's not hitting... Reynolds will probably hit 30, 34 bombs somewhere in there. But I just... The more Verdugo is on this team, the more I like him. He is so calm in the batter's box. There's this calmness, and I, I like it. You know, I just... I have a lot of trust that he's going to do whatever the situation calls for. He's going to shoot one up the gap or get that big hit that led essentially to the walk off the other night uh, by the foul pole there. I just, I like what I'm seeing. And earlier in that inning, you had Kike Hernandez swing at strike three, which landed in the dirt six inches in front of the, in front of the plate like it wasn't even close in and, and Kike had probably the worst swing I've seen all season to his credit. He still made it to first cause the ball got away from Vasquez, but you don't get those kind of swings, uh, you know, from Alex Verdugo in big moments. And I mean, he is the Red Sox leadoff hitter. Now, is he not? I mean, who else do you want there?
0: No, I think it's him. You know, we, we talked about this before the season started. I advocated for Tristan Casas. um, I'm glad that Alex Cora did not do that because Verdugo is absolutely your leadoff hitter. I would not move him from that spot unless he like absolutely demanded it. But I don't think Verdugo cares. Verdugo is guaranteed four, maybe five at-bats every game. So I think he's fine with it. Um, Yeah, he he is absolutely your leadoff guy. He should not move from that spot.
1: Yeah, he he asked for it. His brother tweeted it out. He was like, nah, Alex wants it. And he goes, I told him to go tell – Uh, Cora to put you in there and looks like you did
2: (laughs) I I was the lone guy on the crew who did pick Verdugo I I didn't really have a problem with Kike or or even Costas at the time but you know one of the rare times I I get my way (laughs) and uh, you know love what I'm seeing out of him So,
0: One last question on Verdugo so we all agree we'd keep him at the Ben contract 5 over 75 I think we would all do that what if he wanted a sixth year and he wanted NIMO money? So what if he wanted six years one twenty? Would you give him that?
2: Well Nimo got I think closer to one eighty, actually. Well he got one he got eight over like, one sixty five. So uh, it was roughly okay. around
0: roughly around twenty a year.
2: So I don't go anywhere near that. That's a hard no. I, I think six at one twenty would be my absolute max, and I, I wouldn't even love that, but
1: yeah. I would give him six years at a little hot like maybe like 105 to 108 but it probably rips up next year's Arb uh RB and kind of just gives him a, b- a bonus on that if you know he signs what technically be like a 590 deal I just through his 32 season I don't know about that one or yeah. 33 almost at that point. Yeah, he would he would almost be 33 by the end of if, it. Yeah, yeah, if he played out as Arbier, then then it kicked
2: in. I'll sign any player I like through age 35. Like, I'm good with that. You know, maybe age 34, 35, that part of it isn't going to be super great. But as long as they have a decent record of health, I'm good with it. The only concerning injury to me that Verdugo had was the stress fracture in his back, which he was dealing with at the time of the trade. So that that's the only unsettling thing to me, but by all appearances, that hasn't been an issue. Yeah, definitely.
0: Uh, so the next next topic on our roundtable is going to involve the Mets. Uh, just once again, just can't can't ignore what's going on with the Mets. Uh, Max Scherzer got ejected from a game this week because the umpires discovered rosin on his glove. Uh, there was Rosin all over his hands as well. Uh, he was ejected. And then after the game was suspended for 10 games for using rosin on his glove, um, he was arguing with the umps that he tried to wash it off. I guess the story is that he tried to wash it off with alcohol, which actually makes rosin stickier. So his hand looked even worse after he washed it off and he came back for the next half inning and the umpire noticed it and said, you're gone. You're out of here. So he ejected him. There was a big blow up and he's now been suspended for 10 games because of it. So, Terry, what do you got on the Max Scherzer situation?
2: Just clarification, he was suspended because of the blow-up or for the substances? No, for the substances. Okay. Um, it's a huge topic right now across MLB social media, and we hang out mostly on Twitter, but um, the problem I have is that the... The umpire's basically gave Domingo Herman a free pass. Herman was caught with, you know, something sticky on his hand. I guess it it was rosin. There doesn't seem to be a lot of dispute about that, but he was using rosin in the dugout. He wasn't using the rosin near the mound. Now, the 22nd pitch clock can kind of complicate that a little bit if if you're the type of pitcher that's going to continually go to the rosin bag, but I just I have a huge problem with Herman not only not getting suspended, but being allowed to continue the game. And and then an extremely quick hook for Scherzer. Now if you would swear to me right now that they're gonna crack down on this and they're gonna be extremely consistent. For the rest of the season, and and hopefully well beyond that, then fine, all right. You know, if Max Scherzer is going to be the guy you choose to make the example out of, I guess that sends a powerful message. But but the Yankees seem to, they always seem to get favorable treatment for from MLB. Last year, they the Yankees got the most juiced baseballs of any team in major league baseball. And that was probably to help fuel the Aaron judge record. And I don't have a problem with judge setting the record, but there there's just a disturbing pattern of, of the Yankees just getting, like I said, favorable treatment. I I don't like it at all. So, from here out, if they're consistent, fine. I'm the biggest guy on this crew that's, like, I can't stand cheating. I hate it more than anyone. I'm, a, I'm an anti-Bonds and Clemens into the Hall of Fame guy. Uh, I've always steadfastly said they need to be kept out. And I wouldn't have brought back Alex Cora due to his role in the scandal. I, I was a hardcore no on that. Um, so, I'm all for the rules, but I just don't think it's a level playing field right now. You know, by the letter of the law, I mean, Scherzer deserved to
1: be ejected and automatically suspended. There's no gray area for whether you get suspended or not. And he did say he had Rosalind in his glove, and it was his second glove. So I don't understand why, you know, it happened the second time for him the issue or that Scherzer ran into was Phil Cuzzy was the home plate umpire that day. And there's been three ejections that have come because of uh, this issue. And all three have been because of Phil Cousy. So the only issue I have with it is if we're going to enforce it, you got to be consistent across the board. Can't be a judgment call. Um, You know, that's just one thing it can't be. So, I know Herman. they tried to say he had candy in the dugout. They were all passing out candy or something. Who the hell knows? If you get caught and it's plausible or more likely than not that, you know, you weren't trying to mess around and it was an accident, I think you should get a warning second time i think it's just like all right dude you know we gave the warning if we don't enforce it now when when can we enforce it because you know if we don't do it for you but do it for someone else out, you know during the season it looks terrible so there just has to be a meeting with the uh with the league MLBPA umpires association ghost of Rob Manfred and just they got to figure out how to be more consistent across the board because if you're consistent across the board no one's going to complain that's the main thing i take away from it or my opinion on it if everyone's treated equally
2: you're not going to hear any complaints one thing before jason weighs in the the Yankees also had uh, their i don't remember the exact details but there was some lawsuit tied to DraftKings and the Yankees had this, there was some sort of documentation that suggested the Yankees were cheating in either 2017 or 18. And this document was going to make the organization look really bad. And a judge ruled that it had to be, they had to disclose it, you know, and I'm I'm assuming that had to do with the freedom of information act. Um, But then they decided, well, it, it, they can redact certain parts of it and then release it. And that's just another example of, of favorable treatment. You know, I mean, the Red Sox and the Astros were under the microscope, you know, intensely uh, as a result of their scandals. The Yankees, again, you know, they, they're not held to the same standard, so. Go yeah, ahead, and show. I...
0: I agree. And that's really the issue. It's exactly what we both said. You got to be consistent. Um, I have no problem with guys getting ejected and then summarily suspended for cheating. Like, yeah, you know the rules and you do it anyway. Bye bye. See you later. I don't care if you're Max Scherzer or some bum who just got called up from double A. Like, you can't do it. And the players know they can't do it. So, why is it still happening? Um, I don't know why Phil Cuzzy has such a hawkeye for that kind of stuff, but. He really does, man. He's he's ejected three pitchers for it so far. So I guess he's really on the lookout for it. Um, so, yeah, I don't have a problem with it. Just be consistent. On a side note, boy, couldn't have happened to a nicer guy than Max Scherzer, who I just have never been a fan of. I think he's such a hardo. Um, he's also one of these guys that was – he's a little bit obstructionist when it came to the new rules and the pitch clock. And he was right there with Kershaw and all the others saying, oh, I'm, I'm not going to. I'm going to take my time. Regardless, pitch clock is stupid. Well, too bad. Pitch clock is here, and you just got it banned for 10 games. So get your act together. Um, he was also the guy that I just – I think it was last year, All-Star game. He was—he went up to warm up for the All-Star game, and it's an event. It's a meaningless game. I get it. But there were kids on the field, you know, because it's its an event, and they were getting to tour the field or whatever. And Scherzer was, like, yelling at them to back up because he, he wanted more space to do his warm up pitches. They weren't on the mound. They weren't anywhere near him, but they were too close to his vicinity and he was, you know, shooing them away. It's just, I don't know. He's always been a little bit of a hard-o douche. So watching him get ejected was, uh, and especially on the road where the crowd cheered once he got ejected, it was especially fun for me. So, yeah, but ultimate point is just be consistent if you're going to be calling this stuff because, what, like you said, once a guy like Domingo Herman gets a pass, it just the rest of the so they got to be more consistent with it. So, last but not least, uh, we're going to get to speaking of new rules. Uh, there is a new rule that MLB is potentially experimenting with. Um, this is a rule that they're trying out in the Atlantic League, and it's known as the double hook rule. And essentially, it's puts a focus on starting pitching. So, the rule is that if you're That your starter has to go five innings. Your starter goes five innings, everything stays the same, whatever. But if your starting pitcher does not go through five innings, so if you use an opener who only goes two or whatever, then you forfeit your DH spot in the lineup. And that spot then becomes the pitcher spot. So you have to sub out or pinch it, whatever, for the rest of the game. Um, So it's just a rule that they're experimenting with. It's it got reported a couple of days ago. A lot of people are already shouting it down. It's probably not likely to happen, but it is something that MLB's trying out. And it just kind of signals, you know, Manfred's really going after the new style of the game with the openers and starters not going deep into games. He's really targeting clubs like that. So. Uh, what do you guys think, uh, Andrew? What do you think of the double hook rule potentially being a thing?
1: I think it's dumb as hell uh, If they did this last year, I think it would have made more sense because you had all those n l fans that were bitching about the d h coming to their pures of virgin virgin League where you know we do it the right way, the pitchers hit and go over five every game all that crap where they were like, well, you know, once your pitcher comes out, you should lose the DH. And honestly, I haven't seen a damn peep out of any at all, you know, purists this season about how the uh, DH is bad. You know, now that you got Bryce Harper being <laughs> exclusively a DH, you have Nelson Cruz being a DH in San Diego and Mookie Betts in like five years will be a DH for the next, you know, seven after that. And, that uh, Xander too down the road, so I I think it's idiotic. Um, I'm all, I'm totally cool with experimenting with rules, especially in the you know the Atlantic League. It's not like you know they're doing it in the DSL or the FCL or any you know low A's anything like that. I think it gets one and done. Uh, and honestly, I think this was a pretty good. Um, cover for the other leak that uh came out that night which was the uh the cap on contract years (laughs) which i think was dead as soon it was as soon as it was released because you're not going to take it away from the players union good luck with that but yeah uh extremely opposed to any sort of uh move like this that would ever get brought into any sort of major league product
0: a or nay on
2: the double hook terry biggest nay ever um manfred has a war he's waging a war on pitching staffs at this point and he's already expressed interest that i think pitchers can have excuse me uh teams can have 13 pitchers on their roster and he wants to reduce that number to 12 and let the game evolve. You know, it's not necessarily a bad thing and it took me a long time to come around to banning the shift. You know, I always wanted teams to start bunting again, learn how to go the other way, you know, the same thing that all the the anti-shift people were bringing up and I finally gave in and I haven't complained about that at all, but if you if you implement this double hook rule in MLB, it kills small market teams. And I like seeing, I like seeing those teams come up with creative ways to win and, and how they sign players and how they, they strategize. I I enjoy this, but some of those teams need to resort to the opener. And like you said, Jason, if, they need to use an opener. They're going to lose their DH, and then every pitcher who happens to be in the game at that point is going to have to is going to have to hit. Or if they got a couple of guys still that can be utilized off the bench, I'm, I'm assuming they can utilize those in in what was called the double switch uh, before the DH. But I'm just tired of Manfred messing with the game. Just leave it alone. <laughs> I mean, we've had some pretty exciting games so far just with the Red Sox. I mean, I I commented the other night with Verdugo's walk-off. I mean, that was an exciting game from, from start to finish, and it was good for baseball. And the Red Sox have had stressful wins. Like, all these games have been riveting. And don't fix it until it's broken. You know, you've already taken the sticky stuff away from the pitchers like we were just talking about with Scherzer. And I'm fine with that. That's fine. But don't strip them down of everything. Like, I'm starting to wonder. I I know this sounds facetious, but I'm starting to wonder if someday Rob Manfred will ban the slider. And nope, pitchers aren't allowed to throw it anymore. And, And that sounds ridiculous. That sounds ridiculous right now. But... I mean, did you ever think you'd have the three batter minimum? Did you ever think the second baseman would be not allowed to break up the, the, um, the double play by sliding into second, like all these things that made the game game great that you don't have anymore. Um, I'm just, I'm just tired of it. Just leave it alone.
0: (laughs) Yeah, I agree that this one felt like a step way too far and, he definitely does have um, something against the modern pitcher, and, and I don't know exactly what that is, but, like, you're right. It's like, what's next? He's going to ban guys from going to driveline to, you know, fix up their pitching mechanics? Like, it's ridiculous. And to me, the bigger sin is that it is a war against small market teams, you know, and so it is a war against, like, the Tampas and the Pittsburghs and Cincinnati's of, of the league that, look, those, those teams can't pump out seven, eight-inning workhorses, you know, just every single year. You just can't do it. They've got young kids that they need to develop and they need to develop the right way. So, yeah, sometimes you're going to see these great pitchers come through, especially in a place like Tampa, but they can only go three innings to start until they ramp up a little bit. Okay, that's fine. Like, what's wrong with that? I don't understand what what the big deal is. And Manfred's whole thing is that he wants the game to be exciting, Right. So that was the whole reason behind the pitch clock and other rule changes that he's made. He wants more action. He wants people tuning in more. Well, I don't know about you guys, but like I get excited when I see a young pitching prospect come up who's throwing 100-101 like or he's got like nast- a nasty breaking ball or whatever. And like, yeah, you may only see him for two innings as like an opener or like one of the middle relief guys. But you look at him and you go, wow, that kid, if he keeps developing – can turn into something really special. So that's like that's exciting to me. And the way that Manfred wants it is like, if that kid can't pitch six innings, then too bad. You're you're a bullpen guy and you'll never be a starter. So it's just kind of weird. Like it's it's a war on pitching. It's a war on small market teams and it's a war on player development. Because it's almost like he's saying you need to develop into a six, seven inning starter right away, or else you don't belong in the big leagues, which I think is very, you know, it's, it's excluding a lot of really good young talent. So I'm totally against it.
1: And let me add to that. It's not just young talent. It's old talent because Kluber couldn't go seven or five the other day. A guy that might be coming back like a Chris sale from an injury. Great. Now you lose your DH. Waka got knocked out after four today, so he is a deterrent to San Diego. Now they got, they're got they losing a huge spot. Better, so, like, you can't... You essentially can't put a guy at your DH position if you think you have a starter that might not last those full five. You have to play Otani in the field on game days that you think, you know, he might get knocked out. He has a bad track record against... Team X, so yeah, there's just way too many issues with it. Because do you get more fans by watching, you know, journeyman X pitch six full innings, or do you get more fans by watching Otani have to leave after two at bats because your starting pitcher got knocked out? It, It doesn't make sense. There's there's just too many negative repercussions there.
2: You're definitely gonna see an uptick in Tommy John. As well, I, I feel like because a manager will leave a pitcher in for an extra inning or two when they're laboring, maybe their mechanics were off and they shouldn't be still in the game, and they're going to leave them out there and probably get them hurt. It's just, it's not a big enough, it's not a big enough benefit to the game to implement this. It's it's a lot more consequences than anything. So why do it?
0: I also just don't. Does he think that small market teams or teams that use an opener like have this huge advantage over everyone else? Because last time I checked, like the small market teams still aren't like racking up World Series. The Rays aren't winning the World Series. Like it's, it's still the bigger market teams that generally are winning and competing. So it's not like they're, you know, in a sense like cheating their way to the playoffs or to a World Series or anything.
1: For me I think what they're trying to do or their belief is that maybe it gets people to not be giving max effort um you know with every pitch you're not getting those disgusting sliders that are painting the black guy coming up like what Mason Miller came up today and was throwing 101 in his first start in the league where maybe he'll tone it down and only throw 96 So you might see more offense without just guys going full send, uh, you know, because they're like, "I got four innings. We're gonna bring another guy that can do that for two, and a guy after that that can do it for another two to finish off the game." That's my own, you know, thought process of why they might be trying to come up with something like this.
0: Yeah, it just it it seems like a step way too far, and. I'm glad that so many people right away just jumped on it, You know, jumped on social media and said, absolutely not, never in a million years. I agree with Andrew. I think this is going to be a one and done. I don't think this has any chance of going anywhere um, in MLB negotiations because it's just way too flawed of an idea, and it actually takes away from the game and it doesn't add to it. So there's really – I don't think there's any benefit to it whatsoever.
2: I still want to see the three batter minimum get taken out too, especially with the pitch clock being implemented, you know, what's two or three more pitching changes going to add? You know, I, I want those manager versus manager chess matches to come back. You know, I, I miss that.
0: Yeah, I agree. I I wonder if it's harder now that it's, especially it was just recently implemented to take it away all of a sudden because managers have gotten so used to it, but I agree. Like, I think I was a big proponent of the three batter minimum when it first came in. This was pre-pitch clock because I used to hate when he was in Baltimore. Buck Shaw Walter just felt like every batter, he would go out to the mound and, and change his reliever. It just, he was infamous for that because he had, like, the the Tanner Scots of the world, like the left-handers who were submariners, and he had right-handers that were submariner throwers, like, he just it felt like every batter he was changing the pitcher. I do think now with the pitch clock implemented, you could probably if if not take it away, make it like a four or five batter minimum or something like it. You know, even something like that just but I do wonder since it was so recently implemented, might be hard to take it away
2: now. I, I would just love to be able to have a lefty specialist in there to to handle a certain guy and you know but the other problem, too, was in September, couldn't they have, like, 40 guys in the dugout like after September call-ups? Or was it 30? I can't remember. It was it was a ridiculous
1: amount, and you could bring in a new pitcher for every single batter that yeah. showed
2: up. And it was
1: a parade. It was a clown show at that point where they had to try to rein it a little bit. But,
2: yeah. That was the only problem I saw, and it was only in September. But now you're only – I think you're only allowed to have 30, right? Is it still 30 or is it 28? I can't remember.
1: I Did they even increase it? And maybe it's 27, but it's definitely yeah.
2: not too much. It's not 30? Okay. Yeah, I, it could I, be. I'm not too sure. But I, I thought it was more than 26 for sure, but I could be wrong.
0: Yeah. So, yeah, I don't know. I, I think Double Hook uh, has no shot. So I think that's what we've pretty much decided. Any final thoughts before we wrap up for tonight?
2: I think I'm good.
1: Not that I can think of. All right, cool.
0: Well, we want to thank everyone for tuning in to this latest Bastards Roundtable. We'll be back with another one next weekend. Um, We're in the middle of the Brewers series, so the weekend crew will be back with you on Monday to recap that, and we will talk to you guys later on next week. Everyone take care.